Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of The Phantom Shark by John Blaine. Volume 7, Chapter 15. Barthelme has news. Barbie had a secret. She hadn't said anything, but Rick, Scotty, and Chada knew it. And Chada had suggested that Dr. Warren shared it with her. The two of them had been seen with heads together down in Carl Ackerman's laboratory. I won't ask them what it's all about, Rick said. They'll tell us when they get ready. Maybe. Bobby likes secrets, especially pearl secrets, Chada said. Scotty leaned against the rail and stared out into the blue water. Must have something to do with the pearls in the lagoon. I don't know what else it would be. Incidentally, have either of you seen the pearls since we left the lagoon? I haven't, Rick said. Chada shook his head. Rick watched the horizon. New Caledonia should be coming to sight almost any moment now. Jack had estimated they would make landfall at about nine in the morning, and it was about half past eight. He was both glad and sorry that the Big Island was so close, because in Noumea they might find another clue to help in solving the riddle of the Phantom Shark, and sorry because it was almost time to leave the tarpon. Scotty spoke up. You know, this is the first time we've had a mystery and haven't been able to follow it through. I can't forget how we sat there in the lagoon with the phantom shark right under our noses, and we didn't do a darn thing. We couldn't do a thing. What were we supposed to do? Chana said reasonably. Dr. Paul had the right idea. Let the phantom hide. If we try to stir him up, maybe he means plenty trouble. We ain't never duck trouble. Rick smiled as Barbie joined them at the rail. Hey, Toehead, how about giving us some lowdown on those pearls? If you won't let us read your book, you'll have to give it to us in easy doses. That's right, Scotty agreed. We want to know what we're talking about when we get to Numea. Otherwise, who believe our yarn about a lagoon carpeted with pearls? Barbie's eyes opened wide. You're not going to tell anyone. Not if we can help it, Rick said. We'd start a rush to Nanatiki that would make the Klondike gold strike look like a school picnic. Come on, let's have the first lesson. There's only one, Barbie said, and it's very simple. First of all, there has to be an oyster. Well, that is very simple, Chad exclaimed. Even a child could understand that. Barbie froze him with a look. Then there has to be something that irritates the oyster. Prickly heat? Scotty asked. If you're going to be silly, Barbie said coldly, then I'll just stop. The boys put on their most serious faces and shut up. It can be a grain of sand or a tiny worm, almost anything. First the oyster tries to get rid of it. Then if he can't, 
he covers it up with a layer of stuff called nacre. That's what his shell is lined with. The book says he secretes it. Anyway, that's how a pearl starts. The oyster starts adding layers of nacre. So if you peel a pearl, it's kind of like an onion. And the book says it doesn't matter how big the oyster is or how healthy or anything. The only thing that's important is how much nacre he can make. Dr. Warren says that's why the gold-lipped oysters have such wonderful pearls. They can produce lots and lots of nacre. Did he say why Nanatiki has so many oysters with pearls in them? Rick queried. We talked about it. He thought maybe Nanatiki has some kind of little parasite that gets into oyster shells and starts a pearl. But that's only a theory because there's nothing in any of the books aboard about parasites like that. Barbie switched subjects suddenly. Is that New Caledonia? The boys looked ahead to the horizon. There were clouds that might have been mountains, but they couldn't be sure. There's plenty of time, Rick said. Come on, tell us more. But Barbie had finished the day's lecture. I can't, she said blithely. I have to go finish some sketches I want to take home with me. Bye. Rick watched her go down the deck toward the cabins. She has something on her mind, he said decisively. I know her. She hasn't been acting like herself for two weeks. Let her scheme, Scotty said lazily. She'll tell us when the time comes. A woman can keep a secret for only so long, then she has to spill it. Rick had been watching the horizon. He could see now that below the cloud bank was the blue bulk of the mountainous land. There's the island. There isn't much time left, he said. Scotty nodded. Anyways, we've made ourselves useful. The tarpon moved slowly toward the pier while the inevitable immigration officials inspected the passports and seamen's cards. Rick watched the pilot boat race away toward the official dock and then surveyed the scene before him. Numea rose in a gradual climb to the hills behind the city. It was pretty in the late morning sun. The harbor itself was filled with shipping. At the main pier, two small inter-island cargo ships were tied up, longshoremen crowding on the dock, working the cargo nets. At a smaller pier nearby, a beautiful white schooner was tied up. As the trawler moved closer, Rick read the name on her stern. Kookaburra, Brisbane. Kenwood had returned from his swing around the islands. Rick wondered if Vanderclaffens was also in town. It was possible. In a short while, they swung into the pier and tied up, and the immigration officers went ashore. Rick joined the rest of the group on the aft deck. Better check on your plane reservations, Dr. Warren said. You may have to wait for a few days. We can get a plane going north at midnight tomorrow, Rick told him. I checked the schedule before we left Honolulu. I don't know about Chada, though. How are you getting back to India? I have also checked, Chada said. I go from here to Sydney by plane and then take Dutch airline to Singapore. From Singapore is Indian line that goes to Bombay. But I don't know when planes leave here for Australia. You can find that out easily enough, Dr. Warren said. Would anyone like to have lunch ashore just for a change in cooking? I would. The others agreed. We'll go ashore right away, Barbie suggested. We'll meet you at Lebang Yard at noon. Go ahead, Mrs. Warren said. 
The rest of us will follow later. I want to write some letters to mail when I go ashore. The four left the ship and made their way through the congestion of people and goods on the pier, and presently came out at the edge of the park. Bobby, isn't this where the old man who is your friend has his park bench? Chada asked. Maybe we should visit him. Maybe we should, Barbie said thoughtfully. But let's not all go. I want to ask him if he's heard any news about the Phantom Shark, and he doesn't like to talk if too many people are around. I can take a hint, Scotty remarked. Chada and I will walk around and meet you on the other side. You and Rick can go quiz the old guy. Okay, Rick agreed. He was anxious, too, to see if Barthelme had any new information. The group split, and Rick and Barbie walked into the park. It was getting close to noon, so they knew it was likely Barthelme was in his usual spot. It was the coolest public place in the city when the sun got high and hot. They found him on the same park bench. The scene hadn't changed at all since their departure. He might have even been in the same relaxed position, for all they could tell. The old convict's eyes opened wide at the sight of them, and he rose to his feet. So, you have returned safe. You did not go near Lanatiki. Barbie sat down and invited him to sit beside her. We did. And you know what? We saw him. You live to tell me this? The old man said incredulously. When did you see him? I must know. Rick counted back. It was on the fourth day after we left, I think. Bartholomew counted on his fingers. Are you figuring out something? Barbie asked. Yes, mademoiselle, you see. The phantom shark was here in Nomea. When? Rick asked eagerly. Twice that I know of. Once on the night of the 15th. Uh, how can I tell you how foolish I was? I saw him meet that American again. He shrugged. I would not have gone, but I had to know if he was here or on Nanatiki. You were worried about us, Barbie said gently. That was so nice of you, Mr. Barthelme. The old man smiled. What are friends for, if not to worry about? Yes, I saw the American leave his hotel. I hurried ahead of him to Ansvata. I hid on top of the hill, behind the beach. Far away, so I would not be found, but in a good place so I could see if he met the Phantom Shark. He did, just as before. Rick nodded. That's a good place for them to meet. The shark can make a quick getaway into the water. There's not even much chance of a patrol boat catching them, because the reef is closed outside of Anzvata. Only a small boat can get in there. When was the second time? Barbie asked. Barthelme now seemed reluctant to talk. No one knows of this except for one other. It was when the American left. I heard talk from a friend who works in the hotel kitchen. He had planned to leave soon after the night when he met him. But a cable came. My friend said it ordered the American to buy more chromite, and it took almost two weeks to make arrangements. Then he had to wait a few more days for the airplane to Australia. The plane was to leave in an hour after dawn from the field at Tontota. You know, it is perhaps 50 kilometers from here in the mountains. 
The American left the hotel before dawn. I did not see him go. But as he rode to the field, the car ran into a mass of brush that had been placed across the road. A lonely spot above Paita. The car stopped and the phantom shark appeared. Bartholomew took another look up and down the path. The American did not reach the airfield. He has not been seen since that time. Rick's eyes met Barbie's. Gerald in the hands of the Phantom Shark? But why? What would the criminal want with the American? He had sold him pearls enough for his necklace. Surely he wouldn't try to get the necklace back. The story was true. It was men like Gerald upon whom the Phantom depended. He would know that to rob a customer would mean that other rich men would fear to do business with him. It didn't make any sense. How do you know all this if you didn't see him leave the hotel? Rick asked. It was Henri, Bartholomew said. He was the driver. He saw the phantom shark, but only for a moment, and then he was struck on the head. When he awoke, both the American and phantom shark had gone. He got into his taxi and drove back. He told me because we are friends. We have been afraid to tell anyone else because who knows if we might not tell the phantom shark himself and never know until his knife found our throats. We have to tell the police, Barbie said. She looked frightened. No, no, you must not tell the police, Bartholomew said in swift fear. If they know, the whole world knows. You would have to tell them everything, and then Henri would surely die. I beg of you, do not tell the police. You must promise. Rick and Barbie hesitated. Promise, the old man commanded. If you do not, you will violate the confidence I have placed in you as friends. There didn't seem to be much choice, Rick and Barbie said. We promise, Rick added. If we could tell the boys who are with us, we may be able to do something without endangering Henri or you. That would be all right, Bartholomew said, if you promise not to say my name or that of Henri. We won't, Rick promised. The two joined Chada and Scotty on the opposite side of the park. That took a very long time, Chada said. Did the old man have news? Planning, Rick said grimly. The Phantom Shark got Gerald. Killed him? Scotty asked quickly. I don't know. Rick repeated Bartholomew's story, extracting the promise of silence. As they walked to the airline office to check on a plane for Chana, Rick thought hard. The Phantom Shark had really killed the goose that laid the golden egg this time. It wasn't in keeping with the way he operated. He wondered if Henri was sure that he had actually seen the Phantom Shark. He decided that he had to be. He had probably seen the disguised figure in the dark hood with gloves, and possibly the sign of the shark had been left. There was always the possibility that somebody who knew Gerald had the pearls, and also had a large amount of ready cash, had pretended to be the shark. But Rick didn't think that was likely. With the reputation of the shark, no one would dare impersonate him. I wonder how come the airline didn't know Gerald hadn't left, he asked. The answer to that was apparent a few minutes later when they walked into the airline office. It was occupied by a Javanese clerk who didn't appear to know much of anything. 
He was office manager, clerk, janitor, flight dispatcher, and general factotum. They gathered that the line was an irregular carrier that operated on a catch-as-catch-can basis. Planes came into New Caledonia twice a week, sometimes. Sometimes they didn't come at all. Evidently, it depended on how much payload the plane could pick up in Australia. Rick thought that the plane crew had probably assumed Gerald had canceled his trip or had simply missed the plane, and that he would cash in his ticket or save it until the next trip. Likely, they hadn't even inquired for the missing passenger in the next run into the island. Chada gathered that a flight was due in two days hence, but there was no assurance it would arrive. He shrugged. A day or two didn't mean much. His reservation accepted by the indifferent clerk, the four went a few doors away to the Pan Air office. It took only a few minutes to make a reservation on the northbound plane. They already had return tickets. As they neared Le Bagnard, Scotty asked abruptly, Well, what are we going to do about this? What can we do? Rick asked. Barthelme tied our hands. Yes, Barbie said firmly. We have to do something. He's an American, even if I don't like him very much. We'll have a fine time trying to do anything without telling the others what we're up to, Rick observed. Well, we have to, Barbie said. If we left here knowing that Gerald was in the hands of the Phantom Shark, we'd never be able to look at ourselves in the face again. That is too true, agreed Chada. Rick sighed. Well, here we go again. Chapter 16 Rick Tells a Tale Le Bagnard was deserted except for the Javanese waiter because it was past morning chocolate hour and too early for lunch. Rick chose a table in the corner, far enough away from the kitchen door, so that their low conversation would not be overheard. He told the Javanese they would wait until friends arrived before ordering. Then they plunged into the practicalities of the case. All right. Gerald has disappeared. I don't see how we could even guess where he might have been taken. The Phantom has a sailboat. He might have taken Gerald to sea, or dropped him on one of a thousand little islands around here, or he might have taken him off into the hills. Chana made absent-minded designs on the tablecloth with his spoon. We cannot tell any of those things. Before we can guess where Gerald is, we must know what the Phantom Shark wanted him for. The almanac kid has something there, Scotty conceded. Got any ideas? Rick had none. Since there could be no reason for the kidnapping of Gerald in the face of the known facts, there had to be some facts they didn't possess. The kidnapping had to be for profit. The Phantom Shark was a businessman. He wouldn't risk his neck for amusement. Uh, yeah, I just don't get it. What does the Phantom Shark have to gain here? He asked. Ransom, Barbie said promptly. Scotty shook his head and signaled for glasses of water. It doesn't figure. Kidnapping an American citizen would mean action by the American council here. The police would have no choice but to stir up a regular wing-ding that would cause the shark plenty of grief. He'd be stupid to risk it. Maybe Gerald finished the necklace, Chada speculated. Maybe it was more valuable than even the Phantom Chocolate thought, so he took it back. Rick motioned for silence as the waiter brought them glasses of ice water. 
Chava's idea might account for the theft of the necklace, although he doubted even that. It wouldn't account for Gerald's kidnapping. We have to start somewhere, I guess, he said when the Javanese had left. Suppose we start by getting the exact dope from Henri. You think he'll talk to us? Scotty asked doubtfully. He'll tell me, Barbie said with complete confidence. He's my friend. Rick had to grin. Barbie had faith in the power of friendship. He agreed that Henri would probably tell her his story, even though he probably wouldn't tell anybody else. He glanced at his watch and saw that it was just a half an hour to noon. Well, there's time enough right now. Henri's probably out in front of the hotel. Why not go talk with him? I should go alone. He might not want to tell too many people, said Barbie. Rick thought that was probably true, but he wouldn't permit Barbie to go anywhere alone. He was at the verge of saying that when Scotty saved him the trouble. You can go alone, but I'm going to be right behind you. You get a bodyguard whether you like it or not, girl. Barbie favored Scotty with a smile. But I like it. She pushed her chair back and directed. I'll go first. You can come along a few seconds later. Just don't be obvious about it. Before Scotty's jaw could even drop, she was on her way out of the restaurant. Chada started to call after the ex-marine, then suddenly closed his mouth. He was looking at the door. Rick turned in time to see Vanderklaffens enter. So, the Dutch trader was back in town. Rick greeted him cordially. At his invitation, Vanderklaffens pulled up a chair. He drew out a handkerchief and mopped his round face and then signaled for water. You had a good trip, yes? How was Namatiki? Fine, Rick said. The vague outline of a plan began to take place in his mind. We'll tell you about it some other time, though. Right now we have a problem. Yes, of what kind? Well, it's about Gerald. Remember Gerald? Chada's eyes opened wide. The American? Yes, I remember. What about him? He's been gone for days. Well, that's just it, Rick said. We met him before we left, and since we were fellow Americans, he asked us to help him out. He was afraid of something, but he didn't tell us what it was. He just asked us to check up when we got back. Check up? In what manner? Rick's brown eyes took on a faraway look. He wanted us to check up on his leaving. He told us he was afraid he wouldn't be able to leave Umea alive. We were we were supposed to go to the airline and be sure that he had gotten away all right. The Dutchman's round face broke into a smile. Is that all? He did get away all right. The hotel clerk mentioned it to me the morning after he left. Oh, he left the hotel, but he never got to his plane. For the briefest second, the Dutchman's expression froze, and then he smiled again. Well, he must have, because he's no longer here. Well, he started out, Rick said patiently, but he didn't reach the airport. How do you know this? We talked to his driver. According to the driver, they reached a point above Paita when Gerald suddenly ordered the taxi to stop. He had a gun. He forced the driver to get out. Then he went on by himself. The driver couldn't understand what was wrong, but he knew he wasn't going to let Gerald get away with it, so he hiked along after the taxi. Two miles up the road, he found the taxi, but 
no Gerald. There was a sign of a fight in the dirt alongside the road. There was also, well, this. Rick reached into his pocket and pulled out the object he had carried as a souvenir since the cutting of the rudder cables. He dropped it on the table in front of Vanderklaffen's. The Dutchman's eyes opened wide. A tooth of a shock. He touched it and then drew his hand away. Have you told the police? No, Rick said. He shrugged eloquently. What happened when we told them about our rudder cables, right? Nothing. Vanderklaffen's nodded slowly. We are helpless against such a criminal as this. Well, I join you in lamenting for your countrymen. If I can be of service, you must call on me. He rose. I must go. I did not intend to stop by, but I glanced in and saw you, so I took the opportunity to say hello. Uh, I will see you later in the day, perhaps. By the way, Kenwood is here. Doubtless he will lunch here as usual. You might tell him your story. He is a man with much strange knowledge. Possibly he can help you. The Dutchman bowed and left. Oh, my! Such yarns you tell! Chad exclaimed. What was the big idea of that? I don't know. Rick grinned. I had an idea we might try out a half-truth on a few people to see how they'd react. Vanderklaff has reacted all right. Did you see him freeze up there for a second? And he did intend to come in here, probably to meet Kenwood. It's bright outside and dark in here. He couldn't possibly have seen us by just glancing in. That is true, Chada agreed. Now what? Now you follow him, Rick directed. I'd have trouble because he knows me too well and I stand out in the street, especially where there are a lot of natives. Leave it to me. Remember how I attract Parsi in Bombay? It is a cinch. I meet you here or back at the ship. In a moment, Rick was left alone. Chada would stick to the Dutchman with no trouble, he was sure. The Hindu boy had a knack for being inconspicuous when he wanted to be. He would remove his tie, rumple his hair, change his style of walk, and blend right in with a crowd of brown folk like these. The impulse to tell Vanderklaffen's a partially true version of Gerald's kidnapping had sprung into being full-blown. When he tried to analyze his reasons, he realized that he had always been unsure of the Dutchman. True, he had been in Suva the night Bartholomew had seen Gerald meet the Phantom Shark. But his quick defense, when he thought they suspected him of cutting the cable, had been just too pat, almost as though he had been prepared. Then there was the odd way in which he and Kenwood had told them about the Phantom Shark. Both had known it, neither had admitted it in the other's presence. There was one danger the impulse had led him into. Once the story was out, it would be easy to check out Henri. Then Henri would be in danger, even though he had kept his word to Bartholme by not mentioning the driver's name or divulging the actual story. The answer to that problem, he decided, was to hire Henri for the duration of their stay, or until Gerald was found. Rick left a frank tip for the waiter and started out of the cafe to find Barbie and the driver. Then he stopped short. Kenwood was walking across the street from the Place de Cocotier. The lanky Australian waved a hand and shouted in greeting. As he came close, Kenwood asked, Well, Yank, how was your trip? Bumping any fan of sharks? Rick shook his hand. 
The Aussie had a firm, warm grip. Not a single phantom, Mr. Kenwood. I know someone who did. Kenwood's brows lifted. Oi, come into Tobain Willie's and tell me about it. There was nothing else Rick could do. He went into the restaurant with Kenwood and accepted a cup of chocolate. Then he repeated his wild yarn, substantially as he had told it to Vanderklaffens. Lord's down the crowds, Kenwood muttered softly. So the shark has been in New Maya, eh? I've been kicking around the islands. Just got in a day before yesterday. Hadn't heard a thing. What'd you say the taxi driver's name was? I didn't say. I'd rather not. He might get in trouble for not reporting it to the police. Oh, he might. Well, I don't know whether there's any advice I might have that could be helpful except this. Wait a couple of days and see if Gerald shows up. If he doesn't, better go to your American council and tell him what you know. Good idea, Rick said. Kenwood finished his chocolate and stood up. See you later. I've got a bit of business to attend to, and I'm having chow with Vanderklaffens. Remember him? He's in a boarding house nearby where the food is good, he says. But maybe we'll see you here for supper, eh? Could be, Rick agreed. Anyway, come aboard the tarpon and pay us a call. And I will. See you later, Yank. Rick got busy as soon as the Australian left. He found a menu on the table. It was blank on one side. He tore it in half and borrowed a pencil from the waiter and quickly wrote two notes. One note to Barbie, and Scotty said, Hire Henri for as long as we're in town. I may have stuck his neck out. If I have a chance, I'll phone you here. The second note he addressed to Dr. Warren. Chada and I had a chance to do a little sightseeing. Knew you wouldn't mind. We'll be back early. He signed his name and handed the chits to the waiter, first folding them and turning down the quarters. You know the boy and the girl that were with us? This one is for them. The second one is for the tall Brit with the little beard that I came with in here another day. You savvy? The Javanese nodded. Much savvy! Rick tipped him and hurried out. Kenwood's words and actions didn't jibe with those of Vanderklaffen's. The Dutchman had mentioned no date with the Aussie. On the contrary, he had suggested that Kenwood would probably eat at Le Bagnard. And Kenwood had tried that old gag about what name did he mention? The story had stirred up something all right, although it was too soon to tell what. Rick felt like a man who dives into a clear pool and deliberately stirs up the muddy bottom. But he hoped out of the murky cloud that he created, something concrete would come. With Chada on Vanderklaffen's trail and himself sticking with Kenwood, something was bound to turn up. Barbie and Scotty walked to Le Bagnard less than ten minutes after Rick's departure. The waiter pondered over the two notes and then finally handed them one. Barbie noted that they looked like two halves of a menu. She read the note and then gave it to Scotty. As he glanced through it, she went to the waiter. Let me have the other one, too. He shook his head. He's a tall Brit with beard. He's my guardian. I'll give it to him, Barbie said. The waiter looked dubious. Barbie found an American 25-cent piece in her handbag and gave it to him. That brought results. She unfolded it and read Rick's scrawl. Leave it to Rick to stir up trouble. Well, now what? 
Scotty said. Do we just sit here and wait, or shall we go hire Henri and then come back? Barbie gave him a direct look. What would you do if you were alone, Scotty? Scotty shrugged. Probably go hot-footing after him and get us both in a jam. Always provided I could find out which way he went. You could, Barbie said. Suppose you get started. I'll write a note to the Warrens and then go get Henri, and we'll swing around the park and pick you up. Scotty considered. He didn't like the idea of Rick and Chada going off without him. Not that he resented being left out, but he knew that there was strength in sticking together. Okay, he said finally, but be careful. Oh, don't worry. I'll be right behind you. Barbie took another menu and found a pencil in her bag, and then stopped as an idea struck her. She beckoned to the waiter. Was anybody in here with my brother? Yes, Missy. Was two men. Was two on Van Clef and two on Kenwood. She might have known those two would be in it somewhere, although her idea had been simply that Rick and Chada must have met somebody in the restaurant. She hadn't guessed whom. She wrote rapidly on the back of the menu, We are taking the old touring car for a short trip. Plane passage all arranged. We'll be back early. Love, Barbie. This is for the tall Brit with the beard, Barbie said, and handed her note to the waiter. Then she ran out the doors and looked for some sign of Scotty. He was in conversation with a Kanaka on the edge of the park. She turned up the street and walked rapidly to where Henri was parked in front of Gerald's former hotel. The big Kanaka driver gave her a wide smile. No more today, Missy. All done. I know you told me all that happened, Barbie said. We won't talk about it any more, Henri. I want to hire your taxi. He bowed her into the back seat and then ran around to the front, his bare feet making a splatting noise on the hot pavement. The old touring car groaned into life. Barbie pointed down the street toward where she had seen Scotty. Henri moved away from the curb with a great grinding of gears. Scotty was waiting at the curb. Rick went up the hill toward the cathedral. Let's go. Did that man see him? Yeah, I told him my friend and I had gotten separated in the market. At Scotty's direction, Henri took the main street leading to the cathedral. But there were other streets, some that hugged the hillside and others that wound around through the houses. Although Scotty asked several people if they had seen a young American, they could not pick up the trail. He knew it was no use to ask for Chada. The Hindu boy with his brown skin would not be noticed. What can we do, Scotty? Barbie asked worried. Go back to the restaurant, I guess. We can't do that. I left a note for the Warrens that we were going for a ride in the country. They'll be there by this time, or in just a few minutes. It's almost noon. Scotty thought for a moment, his quick glance taking the surrounding area. His eyes stopped on the cathedral tower. Well, there's only one thing we could do. You'll have to pretend to be a tourist in search of a view and charm the caretaker into letting you go up into the tower. I'll take a stand down the street and Henri can park around the corner. Between us, we'll have a view of this entire area. If Rick or Chada or either of the two men come up onto the street, we'll see them. Suppose they don't come out, Barbie objected. Well, if they don't... Scotty didn't finish the thought. 
It would mean that by disobeying Rick's orders to wait at the restaurant, they had cut themselves off from communication with him. It would mean that Rick and Chada, if they got into a dangerous spot, would have no one to call on for help. <laughs>